If you were going to study the person and work of the Holy Spirit, you might, or if you were going to teach a class on the Holy Spirit or preach a sermon on the Holy Spirit, you might think of the book of Acts. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Or you may think of the Gospel of John. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll send you another just like me who will be the comforter. And he will guide you into all truth. He will take what is mine and make it known to you. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This he spoke about the Holy Spirit. You'd go to John for all that. Or maybe you could go to the Gospel of Luke. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Or you could go to the book of 1 Thessalonians. Do not put out the fire of the Holy Spirit. Or you could go to the book of Romans. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we don't know how to pray as we ought, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groans too deep for words. You'd at least go to the New Testament. Well, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came to explain what happened, Peter was tapped on the shoulder by God to preach. Pete, it's your time. Get up and preach. Oh, let me prepare. Yeah, I'll I'll get you prepared now. Where did Peter go in this book to teach on the Holy Spirit? He went to the book of Joel. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to the prophet Joel. It's absolutely incredible. Now, there are other books in the Old Testament that talk about the Holy Spirit. Some people think there was no Holy Spirit in the Old Testament. That's ridiculous. Did God start in the New Testament? The Holy Spirit is as much God as God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit's all over the Old Testament. God created the world by the work of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God was brooding over the face of the deep. David said, uh, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, uh, Isaiah says, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me. for the, He has anointed me. Ezekiel in chapter 47 has the river of the Holy Spirit flowing out of the, the temple of God. You've got all this. But there's only one prophecy in the Old Testament that predicted what happened on Pentecost, and it was Joel. Now, there's all kinds of other stuff that was predicted that happened during the life of Christ, before, during, and after the life of Christ. I mean, you can go to the book of Psalms, and in Psalms it says that he would teach in parables, that he'd be betrayed by the Jews. You can go to the book of Micah, and it predicted that he'd be born of the virgin. You can go to the, the um, uh, book of Genesis, and it would prophesy that he would be born of the woman's seed and of Abraham's seed. You've got all those prophecies. But the only prophecy in the whole Old Testament of what took place at Pentecost comes to us out of the book of Joel. And of all things, Joel is one of the oldest prophets. It's thought that he may have been preaching 800 years before Christ. He was clearly preaching before the fall of Jerusalem. There's only three chapters in the whole book of Joel, but there are four visions. 
Chapter 1 is the vision of the locusts. Chapter 2 is the vision of Assyria, the foreign armies coming to destroy Israel and Jerusalem. The second half of chapter 2 is the third vision of the coming of the Holy Spirit and the restoration that the Holy Spirit will bring. And the fourth vision is in chapter 3, and it's about the final judgments and restoration and redemption of God. But you take all of that, and right in the middle of it all is this teaching on the Holy Spirit. And there's three areas that are taught about the Holy Spirit in the prophecy of Joel. There is, first of all, the coming of the Holy Spirit is predicted. Then there's the work of the Holy Spirit that is explained. Then there is the preparation for the coming of the Holy Spirit, which is really what the book of Joel is all about. It not only predicts the coming of the Holy Spirit, but it gives us specifics on how to get ready and prepare ourselves for the coming of the Holy Spirit. All that in this little book. It's incredible the depth and insight into the person and work of the Holy Spirit that we get from the book of Joel. Chapter 2, verse 27 and 28. 27 ends the second vision and 28 begins the third vision. Afterward, I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Now here's the prediction of the coming of the Holy Spirit. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my Spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth. And this was quoted by Peter on that day of Pentecost. The coming of the Holy Spirit here, there's a lot of specifics. First specific is that it's going to be a universal coming. It's not just a parochial coming. All Joel knew was Israel. But he doesn't say, I will pour out my Spirit on Israel. When he says, I will pour out my Spirit on all people... What he's saying is this is going to go way beyond a nationalistic outpouring. This is not a localized outpouring. This is a universal outpouring. Now, Jews, when they worshipped and prayed, the men would sit on one side, the Jews would sit on the other side, the, 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 the women would sit on the other side. So you've got men and women separated. Here it's saying that God will pour out His Spirit across gender lines. On the men and on the women, on the sons and on the daughters, and across not only gender lines, but generational lines. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. So this is cutting across national lines. It's cutting across gender lines. And it's cutting across generational lines. This is a universal outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is Totally counterintuitive for any Jew to prophesy such a thing. 
But this was the Word of God, and it was understood and received that it will transcend culture. And what happened on Pentecost? God's Spirit was poured out on men and on women. It's very clear that in the upper room there were the men and the women. Mary, the mother of our Lord, and the women were gathered together with the disciples and a number of other believers. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out, it was poured out on the younger and the older. And instantly, there were people from as far away as a thousand miles that were there in Jerusalem for the feast day of Pentecost who heard the glories of God being declared in their native language by people who did not learn those languages, but when the Holy Spirit came on them, they were empowered supernaturally to be able to speak in those languages that were known, but not to them. This was not only predicted, but it was fulfilled. This universal outpouring and coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit was also preparatory. When these verses are done toward the end of verse 31, it says, this will take place, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit with signs and wonders will take place before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now follow this, it will be very helpful to you. Five times Joel uses the day of the Lord. He uses it in chapter 1 to refer to the immediate day of God's judgment by sending the plague of locusts on the people which took place in the lifetime of Joel. The second time, he used it in chapter 2 to refer to the fall of Jerusalem that happened after his lifetime. And the third time he uses it is right here to refer not to something that would take place just on behalf of Israel, but he uses it to refer to the judgment day when Christ will return and it's called the dreadful and awful day of the Lord it won't be for us who know the Lord, but it will be for the nations who don't know Him and who will be judged by His coming. Now follow this. When Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 17 quotes these verses here from Joel 2:28, he twists slightly the first few words and it says in Joel's book, and afterward... I will pour out my spirit, says the Lord. In When Peter said it, and as it's recorded in Acts, it says, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Now follow this. In just a few verses, Joel predicts in chapter 2, verse 28, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. By the time he gets to verse 31, he's talking about the end of time it's now the dreadful and terrible day of the Lord when Christ will come and there are no more days. Now, when Peter quotes this passage, he calls this now the last days. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. Paul picks up on this in 
Second Timothy chapter 3, he talks about the last days. And in the last days, there will come times of stress. He picked up on this same phrase that Peter used on the day of Pentecost. When Peter said it, now listen to this, it was the first of the last days. It was the day that fulfilled, initially, Joel 2.28. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit. The last days began on the day of Pentecost, and we are still in the last days. The last days continue until there is no more days when Joel 2.31 is fulfilled on the dreadful and terrible day of the Lord. And that will be the final day of the last days. Now, if Peter was in the last days, we're in the last days. In fact, he was on the first of the last days. We're in the last of the last days. Isn't that awesome? Now, when you look at it this way, Joel is intended for us. Joel is not something we just leave for the Old Testament people. Those guys needed Joel. No, we need Joel because we're living in the days he was talking about. Now, what do we learn here about the work of the Holy Spirit? This is so powerful, we're going to take it quickly. Please follow attentively. The work of the Holy Spirit. First of all, the Holy Spirit Spirit brings revelation. Look at verse 28 right there. I will give prophecies, visions, and dreams. Some people have mistakenly taught that because we have the Bible, we don't have any further revelation. No. The fact is, we have the Bible because there is further revelation, and the Bible is given so that we judge other revelation. The Bible says right here that in the last days... There will be prophecies, visions, and dreams. That's revelation. So the Bible teaches that the Bible is not the end of revelation. It's, it's the, 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 the rule by which we judge revelation. But other revelation is going to come through visions and dreams in these last days as the Holy Spirit works among us. The second thing we see is miracles. It says in verse 30, I will show wonders in the heavens, and on the earth. We had a Friday night healing night. And um, we need to do more of these. You all know that the Christian Missionary Alliance, before there was a denomination, we had Friday night healing services. Uh, We're not doing anything new around here. We're getting back to our roots. God is a God who works in these last days, with wonders in heaven and on earth. And he wants to show his miracle-working power in these last days. And I'm looking forward in the weeks to come to have some testimonies of those who really met the Lord on Friday night and other times. But miracles are part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Prayer is part of the work of the Holy Spirit. Here in Joel, uh, as we go on to the next verse, verse 32, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, this is the work of the Holy Spirit. No one calls on the name of the Lord apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. You're not born again. You can't pray, Abba, Father, without the Holy Spirit working in you. To call on the, the name of the Lord initially to be saved, what we refer to being born again. 
But this is not exclusively just talking about being born again. This is all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved because the calling on the Lord is a work of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit prays through us and He teaches us to pray. And part of the evidence of the working of the Holy Spirit in our lives is teaching us to pray. Giving us a hunger, a desire to call on the name of the Lord and to see dramatic answers to specific prayers. And then restoration. Chapter 3, verse 1. When I restore the fortunes of Judah and Israel. You know, some of the needs that we've been encountering as a church, as we open our doors to the community and the needs come in, the needs are getting greater and greater. If it wasn't for the fact that we have a Holy Spirit who can restore lives, we might as well close our doors. We've got enough needs we can't take on anymore. But we do have a Holy Spirit who is able to restore the years that the locusts have eaten. To heal sexual brokenness, to to mend marriages, and to restore the lives of those who have been through divorces. God is a restorer. And it's part of the day we're living in these last days. This is what's happening, folks. What's happening in the last days, from Pentecost until Christ returns in these last days, that's a description of what's happening. The Holy Spirit is working to give revelation and miracles and prayer and restoration. Now, as good as that is, we've only looked at two of the things that the book of Joel teaches on the Holy Spirit. Now we come to the third. The coming of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit is really precursory. The real heart of the book of Joel is about preparing for the Holy Spirit. That's what the whole book is about. Get right with God. The Holy Spirit is coming. Lament the fact that He isn't here and anticipate the fact that He is coming. That is the message of the book of Joel. It begins by hearing the Word of God. Chapter 1, verse 1. The Word of the Lord came to Joel. Verse 2. Hear this, you elders. Listen, all who live in the land. Give attention to the Word of God. If we are going to be prepared for the fuller work of the Holy Spirit, we need to allow, now watch this, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God to take the Word of God, and apply it to us as the people of God. That is part of the preparation work of the Holy Spirit, is to take the Word of God. Whenever there's been revivals, there's always been an acceleration of anointed preaching. The use of the Word of God is so critical when the Spirit of God is preparing us for greater things. So part of the preparation work in anticipation of the fuller work of the Holy Spirit is receiving the ministry of the Word of God. The second is the wake-up call. There are a number of wake-up calls. Chapter 1, verse 5, wake up. Chapter 
2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm. Verse 11. The Lord thunders. Chapter 2, verse 15. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Declare a holy fast. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Now, when the trumpet blows in our culture, there's two normal trumpet sounds. There's reveille and there's taps. Reveille is the announcement of the coming of life, and taps is the announcement of the coming of death. And I wonder which, which is it. Well, don't think too hard. Because I guarantee you, it was blown as reveille to wake up. The whole call is to wake up. To wake up. Don't you know what time it is? This is the last days. Wake up. But if we don't heed it as reveille, it will be taps. If we don't wake up to the call of the Holy Spirit, alerting us to what time it is, we will miss our moment. And what was intended to be a trumpet blast of reveille will be a t- trumpet blast of taps. The next preparatory work of the Holy Spirit to prepare us for a fuller work of the Holy Spirit is these words, lament and repent. You can't miss the lament of Joel. Verse 5, wail, weep, wail. Chapter 1, verse 13, put on sackcloth, wail. Come spend the night in sackcloth. How would you like to have a lock-in, Dale, for the youth, and everybody show up with sackcloth? Let's spend the night wailing. Can you imagine? This is serious. But it goes on. All this call to lament, but it's all for the sake of repent. It says, verse chapter 2, verse 12, Even now, return to me. With all your hearts, with fasting and weeping, rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God. For He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love, and He relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and even leave behind a blessing. Return. Repent. Rend your hearts. Don't allow your repentance to be superficial. This has to get down deep. The whole thing of rending your hearts. The, the, the Jewish culture, the Middle Eastern culture, and other cultures even have professional wailers. They have people that can, can show up at funerals just to wail. They don't feel it. They just go through the outward motions. And what God is saying here is don't go through the outward motions. The situation is desperate. You people ought to be wailing from your innermost being. Down deep in your hearts there ought to be a lament in longing for a greater revelation of the presence of God's Holy Spirit. And it says to call everyone. It says go get the the groom 
and get the bride out of her chamber. They've got a wedding planned. Put off the wedding. I mean, the wedding is like, you don't cancel a wedding. Rain or shine, that, that bride's going to be married at the end of the day. What they're saying here is, as, as significant as the wedding date, put that off. Don't go to the, the church to get married. Go to the church to get right with God. And it says, go get those that are nursing at the breast. Now, when a kid wants to drink, if you're in the house with that kid, or, or better yet, if you're on an airplane, you ever been on an airplane with a crying baby? Would you feed that kid? And give him something to eat. Stick something in his mouth. But this is saying, go get the kid nursing at the breast. This is more important than quieting the baby down. Bring him. Let him cry out. Because everybody ought to be crying out like a baby that wants the milk. That's the kind of desperation that Joel is calling for. Why? Desperation in anticipation. Desperation because we can't do what God's called us to do unless we have been clothed with the Holy Spirit. And the final thing that we come to here in, in the preparation is the the preparation of corporate prayer. This is so incredible. This call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. This is done corporately. Sound the alarm. Gather everyone. Chapter 2, verse 15. Call a sacred assembly. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children. Those nursing at the breast. The bridegroom leave his room. The bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them cry out to God. Why should the people continue saying, where is your God? Where's the manifest presence of God in the community? That cannot go on. And what is it that prepares for the coming of the Holy Spirit? This piece of the corporate gathering together of praying people. For too long we've taught people, if you're going to have a prayer life, you go and do it all by yourself. Well, praise God, if you don't do it by yourself, you're a phony. If all you do is pray when you come together. But it's understood that we're going to pray when we're in private. But the move of the Holy Spirit is to gather people to pray together corporately. And when God, the Holy Spirit, begins preparing a people for a greater work of the Holy Spirit, He always gathers them together to pray corporately. Two or three women on a Saturday morning. Men on a Tuesday morning. Groups of people on Wednesday night. It doesn't have to be at one set time. But find a time when the Holy Spirit is, is working in us, He gathers us. We can't go on without some level of praying together with others. You know what this picture is of? There's a kingdom principle here. It's so powerful. Joel was a work of God. 
This is the Word of God. But this work of God was preparing for the next work of God. And that's the way the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit will reveal truth and will call us online with obedience. And that obedience will then prepare us for the next thing that God calls us into so that He can then impart further of His infilling to us. And it goes from fullness to fullness, glory to glory, strength to strength. And all of this was fulfilled at Pentecost. They came under the Word of God. Don't leave Jerusalem, but stay and pray. They gathered together publicly, corporately. They cried out in lament. They repented. Now, all of this that we see here in the book of Joel was fulfilled initially. But that wasn't just for then. It's, it's for all of us. As long as we're in these last days, this is what God is calling us to. Is there an amen?